The old first church here is quite a place, isn't it? It's interesting to me, you never know who's in church on a Sunday morning. Now, that's true of every church, but it's especially true, I think, here because of our location and uh, just the prominence of the building and the place. The old first church is quite a church. Last Sunday, if you were here, you may remember that I said to you, I'm sure nobody got up this morning and came to church just hoping the preacher would say something about Gnosticism. You remember that? Well, I did say something about Gnosticism, and in trying to say something, um, it came back on one of the communication cards. That's why we took it before the sermon today. Uh, it came back on one of the communication cards that what I said in the heat of the message, I was trying to emphasize that the world, creation, our bodies, all that is material is not bad. It's good. God made us. And Gnosticism thought the material world was evil. And I said, that's not a Christian idea. And I was quite excited about that. And apparently what I said was, materialism is not evil. Remember me saying that? Now, we might debate that, but it, we, that came back on a card and said, surely you didn't mean that. Surely you meant matter is not evil. And it's just nice to know as a pastor that somebody out there is actually awake and listening. It's amazing. So the old first is quite a place. But not only that, afterwards, um, someone came to me and said, Steve, guess what I'm doing this afternoon? And I said, David, I have no idea what you're doing this afternoon. And he said, well, I'm going home to finish a paper I've been writing about Gnosticism. Oh, I'm glad I didn't say too much about it. Um, you just never know who's out there. There's an old fellow who died and went to heaven. And he got to heaven and met St. Peter, of course. And St. Peter said, uh, you know, we have a custom up here. We like to get to know you. And so what we'd like you to do is tonight be thinking about a story you could tell us. And tomorrow, we're, I'm going to call everybody together and we're going to listen to your story to get to know you a little bit. So the old fellow went home and thought about it back to his room there in heaven, went thought about it for a minute. And uh, it quite came to him right away. He had been through this amazing experience, kind of like Katrina where his town had flooded and they had to go get groceries by boat and they had to clean up the muck afterwards. And so he thought, that's, you know, that was a, a great time of the community coming together. And I'll tell him about that. So he was quite excited about sharing his story. Next day, Peter said, did you come up with a story? He said, oh, I've got a great story. Well, what's the story about? And he said, well, I'm going to tell him about this flood that happened in our town. And he went on. He was quite excited. And finally, Peter said, okay, that's good. It was a long pause. And then Peter said, just remember, Noah is in the audience. Now, that story is very precious to me because I'm always aware, you know telling who's in the audience here at First Baptist Church. You just can't be sure who's out there. And uh, so you better think twice in saying what you say. This morning, um, I'd like to talk to you about Colossians, and we're in a series called Believe Right, Do Right. And I'd like to go back uh, to Wednesday night, uh, and I want to read a section out of a book. I couldn't sleep Wednesday, so I got up and I bought this new book, and it's called Hidden in Plain Sight by Mark Buchanan. First thing I've read by him, he's a pastor up in Canada, and he's writing about Second uh, Peter chapter 1. And in his opening exercise here, he talks about it'd be nice to know what was behind Peter when he said what he said. You know, what was going on in Peter's life to sort of inform what he was saying. And then there was this paragraph that I read. 
Mark says, I have also discovered another thing God has, another thing God has a way of engineering circumstances to throw a pastor headfirst into whatever he preaches on or presumes to teach. So, when I teach on controlling anger, I typically have a week that severely tests my serenity, full of breakages and upheavals. When I speak on overcoming temptation, usually some enticement sidles up close and the ground gets very slippery beneath me. When I speak or preach on prayer, often I'm inundated with a landslide of interruptions that easily render me prayerless. And as I read that, I was, uh, I said, Amen. I know that feeling, and I think any teacher or preacher does, where you're kind of, what you're working on not only is on the text, but it becomes a part of your life. Now, why was I up late Wednesday night? Well, I don't know all that happened, but uh, throughout the day, as I went through Wednesday, I was like the fifth string on a banjo. Do you know about the fifth string on a banjo? It's wound pretty tight. It's the tightest of all the strings. A lot of tension on that string. And by the end of the day, I got home. Joyce and I had a nice meal together, went to bed, and I realized right off, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to sleep. My stomach was in a knot. I was somewhat fearful. I was tense. I I said, what is going on here? Why is this? And so finally, I laid there and laid there and said, well, no use in wasting time here in bed. So I got up, went out into the living room where my Bible is and some stuff and got this book. And I read that paragraph. And I thought, what are you preaching on on Sunday? Hmm. Fullness. And I was empty. Fullness. And it felt like I was sucked dry. Fullness. And I was fearful. I'm going to talk about fullness in a few days. And yet I feel like a plant in the Mojave Desert at the end of a long summer when it's been 100 degrees and the wind's been blowing. Why is that? And I sort of smiled as I read Mark's words there. Now, if you have a Bible in front of you, if you brought one, we're going to be looking at Colossians, the second chapter, chapter 2, verses, uh, I think, 6 through 15. And in that section, and we can't cover the whole thing, but in that section... Uh, for the second time in this little letter, Paul says to the church there that uh, in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God dwells. All the fullness of deity is in Christ. And there's that word, pleroma, fullness. And he's trying to help the, Corinth, the uh, Colossian people understand that Jesus is a man and he is also God, that God is fully present. In fact, it says... Uh, the fullness of the deity has dwells in Jesus or settles in Jesus. That word dwells could mean lives in Jesus. And he's trying to get them away from some of these ideas that were pestering the church, that Jesus was sort of a spirit from heaven that had appeared on earth and looked like a man but wasn't. Or maybe Jesus was a man just with God's spirit on him, but he wasn't really God. And he's saying, he's saying there, Jesus is fully God, play Roma. And then in verse 10 he says, and that fullness is where? It's in you who are in Christ. Fullness. Have you ever been full? After an amazing meal, we all know what it's like to be stuffed. Full. But here he says that those who are Christ followers are to have this kind of fullness. And there I sat at midnight on Wednesday thinking, how am I going to talk about this? Where is that fullness? How does one have that kind of 
fullness. And I think most of my Christian life, there's been this intrigue, this curiosity. What did Jesus mean when he said, I'm going to give you the abundant life? And then Paul uses this word, pleroma. You're going to live life in its fullness. What would that be like to really be full? And so this morning, I want to explore that with you. And I think Paul gives us some helps along the way. And so I'd like for you to find this uh, little guide, if you would. We're going to try to follow that. And I want to lift up four helps. And I don't know if I'll do it, but I've been telling myself I should memorize Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Those are key verses. And those are the verses I really want to work with this morning. And we'll use those verses and kind of go out from there to other parts of this text. We can't get through the whole thing. It's kind of complicated. But this is a good starting point. And so I want to begin with the first help, which is uh, the, to live a life in its fullness, you have to go deep. Go deep. Simple point. But let's read together from uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, and part of verse 7, the first word or two. Would you read with me? So then, just as you have received Jesus, Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives rooted in Him. Underline that word, rooted. First word in verse 7. Just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives rooted in Him. Last year, now you know there were no big storms in our area, but last year uh, I left my home one day and we, I was driving down Mountain Avenue in Pasadena and there's that section that's very wide and these are big homes with big lawns in front of them. And lining the street are these wonderful Pasadena magnolia trees with their beautiful blossoms. Well, the storm that night had come and gone, not a big storm, but as I drove down the street that morning, one of the trees had fallen over in somebody's yard, a big, full-grown, mature magnolia tree laying there. It wasn't broken in half. The limbs weren't broken off. It was just laid out. Guess what the roots were? You could see them sticking up like this. The thing had just toppled over, the roots sticking up. Somehow, the root system had failed, and that tree had fallen over. That happens when roots fail. It happens when you and I have our roots fail. How many of you have ever tried to pull a dandelion out of the ground? Lovely job, isn't it? Those roots are amazing, aren't they? A little scrawny thing on top, and the, the root goes way down, and we call that a tap root. It goes down deep, and it's like it's a little alive thing, and they're hanging on for dear life, and you can't get it out, big as you are, because it's rooted. Now, Paul says, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, be rooted in Him. So here's the question. Have you received Christ Jesus as Lord? It's either a yes or no answer. Have you received Christ Jesus as Lord? And that's a question that I hope you can say, Steve, I have, and you could even tell me about that experience. Now, it could be that you're here exploring faith, and you'd say, I'm thinking about Jesus, but no, I haven't. And I want to encourage you this morning that the, the, all that I'm saying today about being full and living a full life has to do with being rooted in Jesus Christ. He's our taproot. And Paul says to these folks, you've received Christ Jesus as Lord. Be rooted in Him. He's the stabilizing force in your life. And so this morning, it is a question that I want to ask you. Have you received Christ Jesus as Lord? When? What was that like for you? Now, Paul says also, if you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, what are you supposed to do? Verse 6. 
I think it's on the screen. Yeah. What are you supposed to do if you receive Christ Jesus as Lord? Continue to live your lives in Him. Keep on doing what you're doing. Stay close to the root. Still have the root down. Jesus Christ is that stabilizing force, so He encourages us to continue to live our lives in Him, uh, having put down our uh, tap roots. Now, if you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, you should be able to go back to that time when you first met Christ. How did you feel? Or perhaps it wasn't that moment of meeting Christ. Maybe it was your baptism. Do you remember those uh, first days or weeks after meeting Christ or when you were baptized? Did you feel full? Was it a pretty good time? You say, wow, that was, that was kind of a spiritual high. You were full of Christ. As you go back to that time, Paul is encouraging us to not only have Christ as our taproot, but continue to live in Him. Now, how does that work out? Well, Wednesday, one of the things that I did, of course, was I picked up this book that this guy's written about the Bible. I prayed. I talked to God and said, you know, here's what I'm feeling. Give me a little help here. Now, I'd like to be able to say, and if I was on TV, I'd have to say this, I guess, to impress everybody. But, you know, I'd like to say by 1 o'clock, I felt fantastic. I was so full of the Lord, I went to sleep and slept like a baby, and that was that. You think that's true? <laughs> it didn't work like that for me. But I did pray, and I did seek to go back to the root of the matter, which is Jesus. And say, Jesus, help me out here. Help me understand what's going on. And so, one of the helps Paul suggests here is to be rooted in Christ, to, to go deep in your life. And not to be blown about by other things that go on. In verse 8, Paul says this. He says to them, uh, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty conceit. In other words, as he said in another place, don't be blown about by everything that comes along. Have that root down deep so you're stabilized. Go deep. Now, what's another help? Just a few words later, he says, not only go deep, but be build, build up. Build up. It's, it's the exact opposite here. Different kind of metaphor. Build up uh, in Christ. Let's read this together again, shall we? Same verse. We're just uh, laying it out there a little differently. Just then, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him. Be built up in Christ. Use the building blocks that God gives you. How do we build up? How do we build up our lives? Well, I think one way we build up our lives, Paul talks about your life as a building, uses a different metaphor. He says Christ is the foundation, and you build on it. And as you go about your life today, you are building, in a sense, your life. It's so especially important. The younger you are, the more you need to listen in terms of what you do in life is, is your building block. And as you go out, in fact, be here next week, uh, we're going to have a fashion show. We're going to get into chapter 3, and Paul's going to talk to us about how to dress up. I was call, thinking about calling the sermon, The Devil Wears Prada, but uh, I think somebody already used that, right? Anyhow, be here next week. We're going to talk more about that. But one of the things Paul talks about is patience. And as you live your life, as you encounter a situation where uh, you're exasperated and you want to lose your temper or lose your patience, that's an opportunity for you to either build up in your life or to tear down. As you practice Christian virtues, the fruit of the Spirit, you're either building your life up or you're kind of wrecking it up. 
And so Paul encourages us to be built up in the Lord and to build ourselves up and to allow the Lord to build us up. Now, I want to move on to um, the next help that I found. He says not only should we be rooted, not only should we be built up, but what else should we be? We should be strong. We should be strong. This is important. He's not talking about muscle strength, but he's talking about being strong in the Lord. Let me read the scripture to you. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and be to be strengthened in the faith, or to be strong in the faith. To be strong in the faith. What does that mean? Well, to be strong in the faith uh, has to do with... Well, let me, let me in, invite you to a couple other verses to kind of help you understand this. You know what it means to be strong, to, to hang in there. Uh, when we go through a tough time, uh, the point is to hang in there. And on Wednesday, after I finally did get to sleep late in the night, what did I do? Get up the next morning and say, ah, forget this. I'm just not going to do what I need to do. Well, one way to be built up and to continue to be strong is you know what you should do the next day. I had an agenda, a schedule. Get up and do it. Go about your life as you seek the Lord. Continue to do what God wants you to do and see what God does in your heart. Actually, by Thursday night, I was like, wow, this, uh, you know, I've been doing what I'm supposed to do. Went and saw some people, talked to some folks, did my prayer time, did what I was supposed to do in preparing for this message. And as I did what I was supposed to do, the Lord did what the Lord does, and my whole atmosphere had turned around in 24 hours. I didn't feel so empty anymore. It, things had changed. So I want to encourage you to be strong. Now, I'd like for you to, I'd like to show you something, and I want to look at verses uh, 13 and 14, because I think these will encourage you, and when we're weak and empty, encouragement is a good thing. How many of you have one of these? Could you find that? I'd like you to wave it at me a bit. Now, listen as I read verse 13 and 14. He's talking about what Jesus has done, and he says in verse 13, And when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with him. As Scripture views it, once we were dead, now in Christ we are alive. Then he says, God made you alive in him. He forgave us all our trespasses. Listen carefully, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. Wow. In other words, he says, if, if you could imagine with me, this is the record against you. you. Have you got this out? Think about this as, as the record that is against you. What would be on this record? What have you done wrong in your life? Have you ever said anything that you really wish, I hadn't said that, I'd like to take it back, I cannot? Or have you ever done anything that you said, why did I do that? We sang a song about the wrongs we've done. You've done some wrongs, I've done some wrongs. Think about this record, anger. Think about those things, the record against you. Think about those things that nobody else knows about. It's in the record, isn't it? God has a record, and it's there. Now, if you would imagine with me for a moment everything that you don't want anybody to know, every mistake you've made, every angry word you've said, it's on the record. What does the Scripture say? 
It says not only has God forgiven us, but as the verse opens up in, in 14, it says He has erased the record against us. If you look at that page and could just imagine all the words somehow uh, amazingly just disappearing off the page, the record is erased and it's nailed to the cross. Wow. How does that make you feel? Any fuller? Any better? To realize that in Jesus Christ, God has been able to erase the record against us and nail it to the cross and you are forgiven. And so be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power because you, my friend, belong to the Lord and He's erased the record. There isn't a record against you. Is that good news? I think it is. And I think that ought to encourage us in the Lord. So I encourage you to be strong. One of the helps to be full in life and not to be empty is not only to be rooted in Christ, to go deep, it's also to be built up, and we're, we're built up in lots of ways, partly by our actions, and it's also to be strong in the midst of the difficulties life brings our way. And you can be strong because God's Spirit is in you and it's cleansed you. Now, what does all that produce? Well, I actually left this point off and realized you just can't do that. What's the last thing this verse says? Well, in chapter 2, verse uh, 7, it says not only that we should be strong in the faith, but we should be abounding in thanksgiving. Now, let's put the Scripture up there one last time and read this. Abounding in thanksgiving. Let's read together. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith, and overflowing with thanksgiving. Overflowing with thanksgiving. As you think about God forgiving your sins, you can overflow with thanksgiving. In the last verse in this section, verse 15, it says this. God disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Triumphing over them in it. Earlier this year, Joyce and I went to Yorktown, Virginia. We were there to visit Cullen in part in Williamsburg, and we saw the, the three cities there, Williamsburg and Jamestown and Yorktown. And I learned a lot that I didn't know about the civil, about the Revolutionary War there. And one of the things I learned that uh, as the war against Britain went on, the Revolutionary War, General Washington had lost a lot of battles, and nobody was quite clear were the, was the revolution going to succeed or fail? Washington was up by New York with his troops. He got word from the French in Virginia, and they said to him, we think you need to come down here. We think there's an opportunity against General Cornwallis in Yorktown, the British general, a heavily fortified city with a, a top general there. Well, Washington, as all good leaders, listened to other leaders. He listened to the French, and he left his place in New York, brought his troops down to Virginia, and there he hooked up with the French, and they put together a battle plan. Uh, as the French heard Washington's battle plan, they said, uh-uh, uh-uh, that's, that's not a good idea. And he actually radically modified the plan he had to listen to the French. And together they put together this plan, and the French and the revolutionary forces went to Yorktown to do battle. It was a short battle. General Cornwallis realized pretty quickly in a matter of days that he would be overwhelmed and overrun, so he surrendered. 
And Joyce and I went to that battlefield where he surrendered, and there's a, a memorial there and some tape and so forth. You can hear the story of the thing. And uh, what they said happened was this. General Cornwallis, and I don't know much about the man, but what I, I take a negative impression from this story, uh, on the day he was supposed to surrender, he called in sick. He wouldn't go out and surrender, so he made the number two guy surrender. He said, I'm too sick. <laughs> So he sent that fellow out there. That fellow didn't know who George Washington was, so he went to surrender to the Frenchman. And the French guy said, not me. You've got to go surrender to General George Washington. So he did. And a part of that surrender was that the British troops would then come out of Yorktown and all the American and French troops were lined up in all their regalia. And the British troops would come out with all their weapons and they would throw them in a pile. Can you imagine as that stacked up, the guns and rifles and weapons there? And there were some uh, comments that we heard uh, that the British, they were very angry, they were humiliated, they were disgusted. And so as they throw down these guns, they would say things to these, this ragtag army of Americans. And it was quite amazing. Well, as I read verse 15, I thought of that Yorktown experience and the, the surrender to General George Washington. And that, was the, that apparently was one of the key victories in the Revolutionary War, a victory that led, uh, led eventually to uh, our freedom. Now, as I read this, I thought this passage is talking about Christ as victor. When Jesus died on the cross, the cross is empty. We know he's alive now. He broke death's bondage. He's not dead. He's alive. And not only that, he is victor over all the injustice, the evil, the devils, the demons, all that is bad in the world. Now, we haven't realized that victory yet, but he's victor. So can you picture... As the story I told about General Washington, can you picture Christ as victor? There on that final day, when all that's evil, all that's wrong with the world, all that's messed up with the world, all that's not in submission to Christ, they come forward and throw down their weapons because Christ is powerful in victory. And where are you and I? We stand there with Christ, the victor, and we see those weapons that have been hurled against us crash down, and they have no power anymore because Christ is victor. I want to encourage you, that's going to be a full day, and you'll be completely full with the fullness of Christ on that day. It's going to be a great day. And I want to encourage you this morning that if you feel empty, if there's a dryness, if there's a lostness or a brokenness, What do you need to do? Well, you need to come back to the person that saved you, first of all, Christ. Go deep with Christ. You you don't need something else. You need Christ. And then as you live your life in accordance with the teachings of Scripture, you are building up your life. You become full. And as you become full, you become strong and keep doing what the Lord wants you to do. And as you're strong in the Lord, then you're going to be overflowing with thanksgiving. I want to encourage you today to be full, to have the pleroma of God, all the fullness of Christ. Would you bow your head and and let's pray for a moment. Lord, here's our cup. We lift it up. Come and quench this thirsting of our souls. Bread of heaven, feed us. Fill us till we want no more. Here's our cup. We lift it up. Come, make us whole. Lord, I pray for each one of us here. 
especially the person that might be empty, dried out, fearful. I pray that they might look to you, that they might receive you as Lord, and having received you, continue to live in you. And I pray that you would help them to go deep, to be rooted in you. I pray that you would build them up to make them strong for whatever they face this week. And in all of it, Lord, we give thanks to you for taking that record that was against us and nailing it to the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.